Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. My name is Donna Milgram, Executive Director of the Institute for Women in Trades, Technology, and Science, and I'm so excited to welcome you to this session of the STEM Success for Women Telesummit, funded by the National Science Foundation. We have an interview with a very special guest, and then at the end of the session, I'll tell you how you can access the recordings and the transcript, and you'll also have an opportunity to ask our guest, Lily Gossage, questions. Our guest today is Lily Gossage, the Director of Maximizing Engineering Potential at California State Polytechnic University, Pomona. She provides oversight on programs and activities for the recruitment, retention, and success of women, underrepresented minority students, and students from other underserved communities in the College of Engineering. Previous to her current position, she was the Director of the Engineering Honors Program and Research Associate for the Office of Engineering, Educational Research, and Assessment at California State University, Long Beach. Her responsibilities involve studying and evaluating academic trends and practices that hinder student success, timely graduation, and developing college and institutional level proposals to enhance engineering student success. As founder of the Women Engineers at the Beach and Engineering Girls at the Beach, she, find, she finds women in engineering advocacy the most gratifying aspect of her efforts. In 2011, she developed the My Daughter is an Engineer program, a summer residential program for fifth grade girls and their parents. And in 2013, she developed Engineering Girls, It Takes a Village, a summer residential program that served girls and mothers who reside at a local homeless shelter. Lily also serves as the chair of the board of directors for the Pacific Southwest section of the American Society for Engineering Education. Welcome, Lily, and thank you so much for joining me for the STEM Success for Women Telesummit. Thank you so much, Donna. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, Donna, you and I have been many, uh, many years. We've known each other since uh, WePan, so we actually... I think, met each other at another engineering educational organization, uh, the Women in Engineering Proactive Network. So glad to be uh, connecting back with you now. I, well, I am so glad to be connecting back with you as well. And I remember part of what you and I really connected around was our love of data. <laughs> We're both I, data heads. Well, I know. I think we spoke until 12 midnight, and I think it's important <laughs> You know, for the listeners to understand uh, some of the strategies here, over time, uh, people needed to be convinced. And so assessment is a very big part of what I do. Um, and so I think we'll have an interesting conversation, but thank you for having me on today. It's my pleasure. And so you're not going to be surprised that my first question to you is about data. Now, I understand that in engineering, Cal Poly has, uh, Pomona has 5,200 students, which is the largest engineering program in the state of California. It's huge. Yes, can, yes, Can you do. tell me 
what is the gender and ethnic breakdown of uh, the current student body? Um, before I do that, I think some of our listeners may not be familiar with Cal Poly Pomona, so I just wanted to spend maybe just a minute or so uh, explaining what a polytechnic is. So Cal Poly Pomona is a polytechnic university, meaning that it enrolls a lot more STEM majors. So the majority of our students are STEM majors. And in California, Cal Poly Pomona is one of two polytechnic uh, universities within the system of 23 California State University, or CSU. Um, our sister campus is Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, so we are the other Cal Poly. We are Cal Poly Pomona. Um, nationally, I believe we have seven, seven polytechnics, uh, I think Rensselaer in New York. And so really uh, when you're talking about STEM uh, programs, STEM education, polytechnic universities are in a very special position. Uh, you know, right now we currently enroll, and you're talking about data, we have about uh, institution-wide 20, about over 20,000 students, 20,000 students. Now, within the 23 C uh, CSUs, um, we do have a lot more males, not too much. Uh, about 56% of our students overall are male, 43% female, so about 12,000 and 9,000. Um, we are very happy that over close to 90%, I believe it's like 88% of our students are enrolled full-time. So uh, within that uh, figure that I told you, over 20,000, 5,200 students are engineering students. So it is a very large um, engineering program. Um, uh -huh. So I, I think we've got a, 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 a wonderful position and opportunity here to increase the diversity and try out new strategies for our students of color. And so uh, it's actually about 25% uh, of your student body are engineering students. How many are, what percentage are female, and uh, can you give me the ethnic breakdown of the engineering yes. students? Yes, now this is very, uh, this is very interesting. So uh, I don't think over the years, since it's a, it, Cal Poly Pomona is an HSI, uh, for our listeners, that's a Hispanic-serving institution. And right now, currently, uh, we have 37, over 37% of our students are Hispanic. Um, almost 25% are Asian, uh, 24, or even actually 20% uh, Caucasian, 3.2% African American, 4.3% uh, uh, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and less than 1%, I think it's about 0.4, 0.3% uh, American Indian, Alaskan Native. Uh, if you look at all students who identify as non-white, it's about 70%. So 70% of all Cal Poly Pomona students identify as um, non-white. Um, that, that's very high. How many are uh, an underrepresented uh, 45%. Minority? 45%. 45%. Yeah. So that actually is much higher than the national average. And so I'm really looking forward to talking about how Cal Poly gets that, those kind of numbers. Now, what about women? What is their uh, percentage of uh, that student body, and, and also women of color in particular? Sure. I want to step back just a bit. That figure that you mentioned before, Donna, the 5,200, which is a little above that, that 5,200 uh, figure represents our engineering students. So uh, if you look at the total, which I had said is about 20,000, Engineering students represent 56% of all STEM majors. And uh, given this tremendous student diversity coupled with the high 
engineering enrollment. Cal Poly Pomona is actually in a very special position with regard to increasing diversity uh, across the nation, not just a state. And, uh, you know, another fun fact is that we have the largest undergraduate civil engineering program in the United States, and we produce about um, 15% of the civil engineers. In fact, um, our last figures show that one out of 14 engineers in California come from Cal Poly Pomona, and uh, there's potential here for us to serve as one of the primary uh, sources of uh, workforce talent in California. Um, when you're looking at women overall, I, th- I believe uh, STEM workforce, I think this is National Science Foundation data as of 2013, uh, no more than a mere 5% of uh, the STEM workforce are uh, represented by women. At Cal Poly Pomona, 32% of the uh, students enrolled are women. Uh, when you're looking back at the freshman admission, um, 22%. And I want to go into the strategies. I hope you asked me a question about how we got there. Uh, I, I will. But, I will. Okay. I just I just want to point out for our listeners that uh, nationally, it's 18% of uh, the degrees awarded uh, at the bachelor level go to females. So you're doing a little bit better uh, than the national average with your freshmen and uh even better overall, what about women of color uh, that are underrepresented? What percentage are they, uh, you know, of your female population? A little over half. A little over half. A little over half. Great. So that holds. You're 45% overall and a little over half. So that's great. So so, um, we definitely want to hear your strategies because this is not the norm. This is much higher uh, than nationally. So that is uh, that is great. So what I'd like to do is ask you to share your highest impact strategies for recruiting because I know that uh, others will want to replicate the kind of uh, diversity that you have at Cal Poly Pomona. Okay, Donna. Let me. Um, I do want to say first that I've been at Cal Poly Pomona since uh, just over a year. So a lot of these strategies are not my own strategies. I want to make that perfectly clear. These are long-standing strategies that Cal Poly Pomona has facilitated for over 30 years. And so um, I am just building upon what has worked in the past and just enriching it. Uh, What I will tell you is in 2011, uh, this is fairly recent, uh, even given the successes, we've gotten a little bit better in the mechanisms uh, the College of Engineering created what was called a what is called a CPP for Cal Poly Pomona, WE, which is Women in Engineering. Um, Associate Dean Dr. Cordelia Onaveros initiated that program in 2011. Um, we're looking back at trend data just to see what kind of interpretation we can make about what we did. Uh, a lot of times, as women in engineering, minority engineering advocates, we do things and we don't look at the mechanisms, what it is, what, if there's a correlation between our results and what we actually did. So we looked back in 2007. In 2007, from 2007 to about 2011, okay, that's the year that we started the uh, Cal Poly Pomona Women Engineering Program. The uh, admission of female students wavered between 16 it dipped down in to about 15%. Actually, went down in 2008 and 9. Went back up to 17% in 2011. In 2012, a year after uh, uh, the program was initiated, uh, we had a 21% admission rate of female. 
uh, in 2013, it went up to close to 23%. So we had to explain where this 7% shift came from. So you look back in 2011, there was a rigorous, uh, robust effort for recruiting women. And uh, now we get into your question is what we actually did. So yes. at Cal Poly Pomona, we have what's called an Engineering Scholars Day. We call it that. We don't call it a Minority Scholars Day. We call it an Engineering Scholars Day. And we invite, uh, uh, it's an event held in March, early March, uh, well before the intent to uh, enroll deadline, which is generally May 1st. We invite all the women students, all the underrepresented minority students to spend a day at Cal Poly Pomona. So it's an eight-hour day. They get here around 730, um, and they are allowed to, uh, um, we have lab tours, um, and we have student uh, leaders from the various cultural affinity groups, such as ACES, uh, NSBE, SWE, SHIP, um, and, our, of course, our Women Engineering Ambassadors. And we okay, have can I just special, ask you, excuse yes. me, um, so I want to ask you two questions, uh, and then you can tell us some more about the day. Uh, one is, these students, are these prospective students, or these are uh, existing students? Uh, these who are, are admitted. These admitted. have yes. These have received admission notice, uh, and at the time that we're inviting them, they're still provisional admit. They have not yet made a decision. So really, this Engineering Scholars Day is our yield event. There is no guarantee that they're going to enroll at Cal Poly Pomona. So uh, we receive a list. We download a list of students who are admitted to Cal Poly Pomona for the following fall and we invite them it's it's a it's a little bit more than it's like a pumped up version of an open house um, so it's high so school they, students actually these are high yes. school students and then could you uh could you spell out some of those acronyms because i know that some of our listeners may not be familiar with these uh engineering associations uh, oh. that you had mentioned yes um we have several cultural affinity student organizations, and they are a student chapter branch of a national professional organization. The first one we have is ACES, A-I-S-E-S, and uh, that acronym is American Indian Science and Engineering Society, NSBE, N-S-B-E, National Society for Black Engineers, SHIP, S-H-P-E, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, and SWE. SWE Society of Women Engineers. Um, of course, our newest one that I want to uh, mention is Habitat for Humanity because it's got a poverty alleviation focus in that group. But these are all of the groups that we work with, the student groups that we engage in all of our various outreach, recruitment, and also retention strategies. Okay. And so on that Scholars Day, you've got the high school students um, that have been admitted but uh, may not necessarily be uh, going in the direction of engineering, and uh, what do you do with them on that day? And uh, also, do you do anything else while we're talking about high school with high school students? Yes. Um, after the invitations are sent out, and I think this is an important point to make, we don't just send an email uh, for our women of color and women as well, all women. They receive a hard copy letter, so it's important for us to personalize it. So all the emails, uh, all the hard copy letters are personalized. Uh, a week after that, our um, MEP, and we'll, I'm hoping that you'll ask me about that later, our Maximizing Engineering Potential Program, 
uh, along with our women engineering program staff, they collaborate to do a phone campaign. So we send out the invitations, and there is a personalized phone call to each student who's invited. Um, the event is open to students and their parents. Uh, they they come to the campus to learn more about uh, both MEP and our Cal Poly Pomona Women Engineering Program. All of our cultural affinity groups uh, are involved in um, the development of the program. Uh, the special part of the Engineering Scholars Day is the lunch hour. We host a separate women's reception and a separate MEP lunch and learn session. Students can go to both, and oftentimes they'll have the parent at one and another parent at another. Uh, but it's a, a day where they can get a lot of detailed information, not just about Cal Poly Pomona engineering curriculum. Um, you know, they do visit the labs that day and meet with the faculty. Uh, some of the chair people are there. Um, they also get to have uh, time, a uh, 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 special time to talk with the staff who are running both programs. So there's a lot of information that is provided to them so that they can make an informed decision whether they'd like to choose Cal Poly Pomona uh, to pursue their degree. Um, after the Engineering Scholars Day, the students receive a survey. So we also want to find out, my goodness, of the students that have gone to our program or day, uh, how many might be interested. So we want to make sure we project enough uh, seats uh, for MEP. Um, a couple weeks later, all the students who attended the Engineering Scholars Day and also the students who weren't able to, uh, students of color and women, all receive an MEP application via email. Um, uh, a week after that, our staff call them again. So this is a second phone campaign that is initiated after the application uh, cycle has begun. Uh, it's, it's very important, uh, critical for uh, students of color, first-generation, low-income students, and women students. And again, these are all the underrepresented groups in engineering to receive a personalized phone call. This is the what we do at Cal Poly Pomona to make sure um, they are, feel welcome. And uh, we're finding uh, a lot of positive results uh, because of this personalized touch. And so I am wondering, how is it that you get the list uh, specifically of women and uh, students of color. Does uh, the research office give it to you so that you can then uh, pursue them or admissions because these are um, you know, students who have uh, been admitted or a prospective uh, been made an offer? Um, how do you get the list? Donna, every institution is different. Um, I remember when I was Cal State Long Beach, I was there for a little over 15 years, um, we had to request a list um, and FTP it over uh, from enrollment services. At Cal Poly Pomona, there's a very strong um, push uh, uh, for access for data. So I myself am able to download that detail, the microdata, uh, myself uh, on my own computer uh, of the students who are admitted. And uh, the data is disaggregated by um, gender and by ethnicity. Uh, and it has the major, all of the contact information. So I understand it may not be a very simple request for other institutions, but at Pomona uh, we are able to do that. The administrators are able to do that uh, on their own. Uh, so it does make it easy, but I, I understand in other institutions it may take a request. Sure. And so an another question that I have is, now these are students that already have uh, 
you know, decided to come here. Are you also doing outreach to the high schools um, to get them to apply in the first place? You know, Cal Poly Pomona, we've had a very long track record of attracting the best and brightest, and um, we'll talk probably about the SATs later. But it's important for us to continue doing the outreach. Uh, and, and when I say outreach, I'm specifically talking about K through 12, not necessarily looking or identifying talent in the high school, uh, college-ready students. So, so we, we reach all the way back to, to elementary, fourth grade. Um, we have uh, a very strong, vigorous K through 12 outreach through the College of Engineering Dean's Office through the Maximizing Engineering Potential Program, the Center for Gender Diversity and Student Excellence, and all of our cultural affinity groups uh, are involved in in K through 12 outreach. Um, now, can I just I, um, yes. can I interrupt you for a minute? So Certainly. I think it's important, and and I was really talking uh, at at this point about uh, recruitment per se, but you have made a distinction. I think it's important for our listeners to understand which is you're talking about outreach, and and that's different than recruitment. Could you explain that a little bit? Yes. Um, we are attracting the best and brightest, and, and you're looking at our average SAT scores. You know, we 550 SAT is really deemed uh, student college math ready. But we have students who fall below that. Um, our average is around 530. So the SAT math, uh, the range that we're looking at, students we serve, is 490 to 620. That's low. Um, but we still admit them. There are remediation programs for students. And so we really strive to prepare students who come in a bit underprepared. And we can't do that through recruitment. We have to go way back and, and, and we have to reach out to the elementary. It's a math developmental process. And um, so we, we have to get involved in the outreach aspect, which means K through 12. Uh, we deem recruitment uh, in serving high school students and community college because at that time they are ready to prepare for their SAT math and English preparation and take those uh, particular admission tests. Um, and so outreach is an important aspect of Cal Poly Pomona STEM success strategy. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's a college-wide initiative. Uh, we cannot wait to just serve the students who come to our doorsteps. We also, as faculty and staff, have to reach out and help the K-12 through teachers. Um, in fact, I was a teacher many years ago. I used to be a teacher at the K-12. through I taught um, middle school and high school, and I didn't have all the necessary resources or knowledge base to help prepare students for an engineering career. Um, this is really not a, a local issue. It's really a national issue. Um, and I believe there was a wonderful report uh, that the National Academies put out, I think it was 2007 or 8, uh, rising above the gathering storm. And really the problem of K-12 through outreach and preparing our country for uh, qualified STEM professionals is articulated in that particular report. Um, and so a lot of the public universities offering STEM programs are now really under a lot of pressures to adopt new outreach strategies. And, you know, I'm, with I'm, the so, I'm so glad, and, and I want us to go to the community colleges and how you recruit from there in a moment, because I know you told me that's actually where the majority of your mm -hmm. students are coming from. 
But I'm so glad you make the distinction because outreach is important. But I find so often uh, colleges will do outreach and expect enrollments when they're not um, actually doing recruitment. And so I, I appreciate that you do both at Cal Poly Pomona, and I know that you're committed to both, uh, Lily. Uh, however, you understand that you have to do the actual recruitment um, in addition to the longer-term preparation strategies, which you're describing as outreach. It's such an important distinction, so I just wanted to, to, to really underscore that. Can you talk now about your strategies with the community colleges and, and about the percentage of, uh, of students of color you know, coming from the community colleges? Because I know that's a big pipeline for Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah, I just want to make a correction. Most of our students are actually freshmen. Uh, we have a lot of opportunity to increase the number of community college students because many are veteran students. Uh, these are uh, military folks who come in. Uh, and now they're transitioning to civilian life, go through the community college outreach. And I know, um, you know, there's a lot of data out there to show that a lot of the traditionally underrepresented students start out at the community college. So that really states, with that, I'm stating that the community college is really a source of untapped uh, population of diverse students that a lot of universities are working toward. Um, at Cal Poly Pomona, I'm also the advisor for SWE, uh, the Society for Women Engineers. We have a technical advisor as well. Um, SWE at Cal Poly Pomona, they offer a program, actually as an, an event, called ACCESS, A-C-C-E-S-S, -S, and that is an acronym for Advancing Community Colleges by Empowering STEM Students. And I really applaud um, the SWE chapter for uh, their um, foresight into uh, supporting community college students. And how that particular uh, event was created is that many of the SWE leaders are community college transfer students, and they're women, and they're women of color. And they noticed that there was a lot of outreach that was based on K-12, through but nobody was uh, paying attention to the community college students, where the majority of the students of color come from who uh, will go into the STEM fields. Uh, I, so I've actually seen uh, numbers that show, say that uh, half half of students of color yes. are first going to the community college and then transferring. So that is a really that is so important because I, I find that uh, community colleges can be overlooked uh, by four-year colleges as a source of uh, you know students of color as well as female students um, as well. So uh, you know, that's, that's a really important piece of information. Can you tell me a little bit about how uh, Cal Poly Pomona, you know, reaches out to the two-year colleges um, in, in the area uh, to serve as a pipeline? Many, there are many numerous uh, programs, but we recently started what's called Poly Transfer. That's fairly new. Uh, that is not, that's a campus-wide uh, initiative. It is not uh, uh, um, housed within the College of Engineering. Um, but that came after a considerable uh, conversation. Uh, prior to my uh, um, coming to Cal Poly Pomona, but the Poly Transfer Program at Cal Poly Pomona is, was uh, designed to ensure uh, transfer-receptive culture. 
so they have a summer bridge program as well. It's a very unique program, fairly new, fairly new. So there's not much data on it, but I can tell you that uh, I was glad to hear that that was coming because it's program specific to new transfer students. I think we often forget that adult students also need to be supported in their transition. The community college is a much smaller campus, and the culture of the community college is different from the culture of the four-year. And so uh, through this polytransfer, again, fairly new, um, students receive information, referrals, support services, and they're taught how to navigate Cal Poly Pomona. Remember, every institution is different. Um, they provide personalized problem-solving and guidance. They have their own professional staff. Um, they offer quarterly workshops uh, based on the student's major. Uh, again, fairly new, but there's quite a bit of information uh, that our listeners can uh, look at on the website. Uh, I believe PolyTransfer has started a PolyTransfer Academies as well, where they offer quarterly mixers for student groups to sort of help them establish um, creating an ongoing community where they meet other transfer students. And well, transfer Lily, students uh, are commuters, so, you know, it's important yeah. that there's a support yeah. service for them. Yes, Donna? Uh, tomorrow, Dr. Mary Anderson Rowland is actually going to be uh, presenting um, in the morning. I will be talking with her. And she actually has created a very successful transfer program at Arizona State University that is specifically for community college students. And she has written a lot about this issue and, you know, uh, the importance of providing those supports. And I know that uh, many of those in her transfer program are uh, first generation uh, going to college in their family. Is that also true at uh, Cal Poly Pomona as well? What percentage yes. of uh, students um, in your maximizing engineering potential or first generation? Well, all of our students are first generation. MEP serves first generation, low income, uh, underrepresented minorities. And what is different about uh, the new administration for MEP is we now serve all women, all women uh, with a focus of women of color. Uh, but uh, we pride ourselves on supporting the students who are the, the least resourced. Okay. And do you have... Uh do you only serve students um, who are least resourced, or do you, you know, serve uh, all students of color, for example? Um, we we cast our net wide in the past, and and uh, I think the listeners will agree. All of this takes funding, and uh, I I think it's unfortunate that sometimes we want to help all students who need help, but we're restricted by resources and funding. We've had an increase of funding in this uh, latest administration, so we were able to cast our net wider. In the past uh, 20 years or so, uh, the MEP program would admit anywhere from 80 to 90 students, si serving about 60, serving about 30 in their MEP summer bridge program. We now admit 200, uh, even though our need would, might be almost 500. So we get anywhere from 300 to 500 applications. So we're serving half of the students who uh, are students who are under-resourced and students who are, are students of color uh, who may not be specifically served through the program can still access our services. And I, and I want to go into some detail about that later. But our focus is on first-generation underrepresented students and women. Um, okay. But we have enough resources to serve a wider gamut of students. Okay. And so, you know, that 
brings me um, to another topic which you've mentioned a couple times, but I'd like to talk about it explicitly, which is the Summer Bridge Program. And, you know, really helping to set um, students who may have uh, less background, um, maybe have less offered in their schools, up for success. Could you talk a little bit about um, what that looks like at Cal Poly Pomona? Yes. Uh, the Summer Bridge Program at Cal Poly Pomona, since we have a very large pool of students coming in, we have to split it, um, is a three-day residential program. We pay for all of the expenses for the students. They stay in the dorm rooms. There is an academic component where they are provided with tutoring, math, physics, uh, at the level that they enter. Uh, and with some of our students who are a little bit more prepared, they can skip forward. We also provide soft skills workshops. Uh, we uh, provide students with a guideline on how to write a professional email. Uh, and uh, really the, the highlight of the Summer Bridge program is getting the students um, connected to industry. So we have a lot of support from engineering industry, um, uh, our recruiters. And these are the, the individuals at the um, companies that look at resumes and interview students, uh, student candidates. Uh, they come from Northrop Grumman, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Union Pacific, Southern California Edison, just to name a few. They are all involved in our Summer Bridge program. Uh, so it is an intense three-day program. Students are put into learning groups based on their incoming SAT math. Um, that Summer Bridge program doesn't just end there, and I hope you'll ask me a little bit more later what we do with them in the first year. Uh, but uh, it is important for students who are first-generation low-income to have a way to help them navigate before the semester begins. Uh, when the semester, we're on quarter system, I forgot at Cal Poly, but I think we're transitioning to semester soon. Um, during the uh, beginning of the fall term, uh, students are trying to find their way to classes. There's very little opportunity for them to um, lean on a peer. And so we put them in peer groups during the summer bridge program. And we have specific classes also for our MEP students that keep that community together. Uh, it's a challenge, though, and so um, uh, most recently we're using, relying more on social media to reach our students. Uh, but the Summer Bridge program is an important uh, uh, programming aspect for MEP, and um, the results are astounding uh, when you take a look at how many of these students continue to find each other through the next four, six years that they're at uh, our university. So does the Summer Bridge program um, in addition to connecting the students with industry and connecting them with each other um, so that they have community together, which I know the you know, uh, literature shows is very important for both female students and students of color. Do, does it also include hard skills like math? I know math is, is a big area both for women and also for uh, students of color, and that often bridge programs uh, provide sort of a boost in uh, math. Uh, because often uh, these students have less background and that this helps them. So is that one of the areas? Um, yes. That it's, uh, it's not just um, what, what we call it is social professionalization. We go beyond that for our Engineering Summer Bridge program. In fact, it's called Engineering in Your Future. We see them as engineers 
Uh, we talk about their day of graduation during the summer bridge. Uh, we are able to help them visualize uh, what they will look like in four years, five years, six years. Um, uh, it is very math uh, we, we math intensive, so they have tutoring every day of the summer bridge. In fact, um, during their first year, our freshmen are required to go to tutoring. Uh, so we hire tutors, several tutors that uh, uh, tutoring is offered, math, physics, chemistry, uh, and, of course, some of our low completion rate engineering um, 200, 300 level courses, uh, five days a week, um, eight hours a day, eight to five, there's tutoring. Uh, and, that, and actually, that is a requirement of participation in MEP. Now, this is really important because, you know, when I was looking at data, there's a big difference in the major GPA between first-generation and non-first-generation students. So I looked at, at five years' worth of data, and the, and the difference between uh, first and, and um, non-first is actually about 0.05. Now, when you look at this uh, difference, the contrast is greater when first-generation status is compared to underrepresented minority status. It's about a 0.2 difference. Uh, then you look at that sort of data and you compare it against financial need. That difference is actually more striking between non-first generation, first generation, almost 0.3. So, uh, you know, as we're trying to help students, we have to look at the different combinations of data. So a student who is first generation, low income, is doing well, but not comparatively doing well when you compare with non-first generation, a high income. Uh, mm-hmm. You can look at all types of uh, combinations, but when you have that low income status, low economic status in there, you see a big difference. Uh, so uh, I think back to your question about um, uh, looking at students who are underrepresented but may do very well uh, in math. Well, if they're underrepresented, traditionally underrepresented, meaning African-American, Native uh, American, and Latino or Hispanic, they still are not doing as well as their non-underrepresented minority counterparts. The mm-hmm. data the data is very evident about that. That's, that's true. And um, often they didn't have uh, the opportunity to have uh, courses, uh, you know, at the secondary school level that would have provided them with the skills so it sounds like if you want to belong to MEP, when you apply for membership, you have to agree not only to the summer bridge, but also to tutoring in these areas traditionally the students um, have had more difficulty with. Is that right? And is it, does it go beyond the first year? Yes, it does. And I, I also uh, was remiss in mentioning prior to the summer bridge, uh, students who are admitted to MEP are required to go to what we call the fall scheduling workshop. So all admitted students attend the summer. Most institutions have it like a summer orientation where they actually register for their classes, right? Well, in MEP, we have something that occurs, an event that occurs prior to the orientation and then registration. It's called the fall scheduling workshop. It's sort of a practice run. So all of our admitted MEP students uh, come to Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, This would be in mid Uh, mid-June, and our MEP staff show them how to register for courses. We leave an hour between courses. Again, these are first-generation students. Um, They are also uh, provided with MEP-specific introductory engineering courses. So we have set-aside sections, and we provide permit numbers for MEP students to enroll. And they enroll 
uh, with their peers. Uh, so mm-hmm. they they are uh, blocked together. Um, they may enroll in their math with their peers together, the engineering introductory uh, course together, their physics courses, and even their liberal arts, the general education uh, courses together. Uh, and this is the best way we can see to keep the community together. Uh, community uh, exists in the classroom and also outside the classroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm also thinking that, you know, from the perspective of uh, students who are similarly situated, you know, yesterday I was uh, talking to um, Dr. Charlie McDowell about, you know, pair programming. And he was uh, part of a group that uh, successfully um, included pair programming in a big intro, and he still does, uh, to computer science class, and it greatly increased retention of uh, female students and also of male students, and also a higher percentage selected computer science as a major. And um, I asked him if they'd also looked at this in terms of underrepresented uh, minorities, and he hadn't personally, but um, he talked about in the pairing process it's important to have students of similar levels, and women tend to have overall as a group less background and, and then more comfortable uh, pairing and working together, and you don't have someone who's taking over. And I would imagine that having uh, these students together, also there's that same uh, kind of dynamic where, you know, um, perhaps they uh, then feel more comfortable, um, maybe they don't have as much background uh, on the lab, maybe their uh, their high school or um, if they're coming straight from high school, didn't have uh, engineering offered at the high school level. So I would see the advantage not only from a community uh, standpoint, but also from a, a confidence uh, standpoint because they're with uh, students who are similarly situated. Is that, am I right in my assumption there? Is that part of the dynamic? or? Yes, you actually had a, I don't know how you knew we did that. So during the summer bridge, we actually break them up by their math level. So they're they are studying with similar peers um, who are at the same level. Um, I, I forgot to mention that, and I go back to your question about retention for MEP, if I will. Uh, I think you had asked the question, what happens after Summer Bridge? Do we want to go there now or wait till later? You, you can go there now, yeah. Okay. Um, in the first year, we uh, either the first week or the se- second week, we have – a very large event, and we have what are called milestone MEP events. In the first fall quarter, our MEP students, um, for MEP students, we have a fall welcome kickoff and mentor match, where our junior and senior level MEP students um, uh, uh, participate in a uh, four-hour, four to five-hour event. We have live music and food as well, and all of the various engineering clubs are there, and students the incoming freshmen sign up to receive a mentor. So we match them up with their mentor. We provide a mentor lunch, a peer mentor lunch uh, through MEP. In the winter quarter, we have a winter MEP winter challenge. Again, the same cohort of students are invited to meet, and there's an academic challenge during the winter. In spring, we have an event called Engineering Rocks, where the students, again, these are the fall MEP cohort students, come together and showcase um, everyday examples of engineering in a very cool way. Uh, and again, all of these are very fun and festive uh, ways to help students. So uh, 
you know, all four quarters, summer, there's the summer bridge, fall, there's the fall welcome and kickoff and mentor match, there's the MEP winter challenge, and there's the spring engineering rocks. It's important that we invest time and effort into bringing the students back together. Uh, when they see each other, uh, there is now another opportunity for them to form their own groups. Um, after the first year, we do serve students uh, through social media. We have um, a new engineering high learning, high tech learning center where we will have uh, workshops both in person and through webinar. Uh, so we're able to reach students even when they're not on campus. You know, we're finding with this new generation of students, Donna, they're not always wanting to see us in person. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, and they're still, they still can be engaged. Uh, so we're finding that we're trying to utilize what even here, your telesummit, it's a wonderful, it's, it's a brilliant idea, it, reaching all of these students. So um, there's no excuse for them not to be engaged with us. Facebook, Facebook, that's the way to, that's the way to yeah. reach them. Well, you know, the other thing that I want to mention, though, is after the first year, then they can go into the different minority and women's organizations that you have on campus, you know, and you're fortunate. You've got five minority uh, engineering uh, associations and uh, SWE. And by the way, I do want to uh, mention how wonderful it is that SWE is serving um, also community college students at your campus. You know, we do a lot of work with community colleges around the country, and I really wish that was true. Uh, you know, throughout their network. I think it's great that uh, you're a leader in that regard uh, because I, uh, I wish that SWE could be a resource for all of the community colleges because women need that same kind of support. So, you know, the students have the option of going, of, of connecting with these programs, which is great. And, of course, they have the original mentor that you paired them with uh, as well. So there's a lot of opportunities to connect with others. Now, one thing that you didn't mention, but I know you've done some work with, is uh, student ambassadors. Could you talk a little bit about your student ambassadors and how you utilize them for recruitment at the community college and high school level? Yes. Cal Poly Pomona MEP, um, you know, we used to call it an MEP program. We're now the Center for Gender Minority. Uh, gender Diversity and Student Excellence. Uh, that uh, allows us to have several different programs under the umbrella of MEP. Uh, we started this very first year, this is just the first year I'll admit, um, an MEP Ambassadors Program. It's the newest of our strategies, and it's a leadership development program for students of color and women uh, to, vo to develop their voice. Um, it was designed to help students develop leadership skills, uh, and we do so by connecting them with administrators, uh, engineering industry leaders, uh, other key individuals from um, R1 institutions, the research ones. So part of the push is trying to get our minority students to uh, also consider graduate school. Uh, currently, I, I believe, again, and, and, and Donna, you'll have to check, maybe I check later, NSF uh, uh, indicates uh, from their last uh, stats report uh, no more than 3% of students of color or graduates uh, in the STEM fields actually go on to graduate school. So Cal Poly Pomona, we were very fortunate. I am co-principal investigator, uh, Dr. Ben Barr is principal investigator on a new program um, post, uh, promoting post-baccalaureate opportunities for Hispanic Americans, and we call it Mentores. 
Mentoring, Educating, Networking, Thematic Opportunities for Research in Engineering and Science. That particular program uh, is funded by the Department of Education. It's a Title V, $2.5 million program project, and that will serve MEP. Uh, uh, our ambassadors are involved in that program, uh, and what they do is they will uh, be trained to give workshops to uh, MEP students about the value of going to grad school. So that's part of their charge. Um, they uh, uh, accompany me to conferences. So their airfare, their hotel, their conference participation is completely supported by MEP. Um, the most significant aspect of the ambassador's program, other than getting involved in promoting post-baccalaureate studies, is to develop their verbal um, uh, skills and also their writing skills. So we also offer a number of different leadership soft skills workshops for ambassadors. Overall, they are the, the voice of the students, and I think it's important that any program that aims to help minority students have minority students at the forefront. I, I as the administrator, I have to be in the background. I can't always be um, uh, highlighted. So the ambassador's program, we've got a lot of students uh, um, who are interested, and uh, potentially we will have more in the coming year. But thank you for asking about that. That sounds great, and I, I, I know once again, uh, this is a, a plug for uh, Dr. Mary Anderson Rowland has done uh, lots of work with getting her transfer students in particular to uh, go to graduate school. I mean, I think, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact number, I think it's like 50%, um, really phenomenal, uh, and I didn't realize it was as low as 3%, and, and the majority of, of her students are, uh, you know, students of color. Um, underrepresented minorities. So uh, I think that part of it is so important. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing more um, as you, uh, you know, uh, work on this program and this grant. Well, I want to make sure I leave time for questions. And so I wonder if, uh, you know, in closing, I know many of our listeners are going to want to recreate the strategies that you've talked about because you've been so successful in recruiting uh, students of color and also uh, women and women of color. What advice do you have for educators that want to recreate these strategies at their schools? I'll start by saying do not wait to receive funding. <laughs> and I think when people hear about the various programs and strategies, the first thing that comes to their mind is, I don't have money. I'll tell you, Donna, I was at Cal State Long Beach for 15 years. There wasn't a particular uh, women engineering program, so I just took the liberty of starting one. And it's never, ever a one-person show. So the idea is to identify your champions. Find people who are like-minded, both in the faculty, the staff, the students, the community members, have them join you, and um, if you're hard-pressed to find or identify individuals at your own institution, there are so many STEM education uh, support networks, like the one where you and I met, the, the Women Engineering Proactive Network. Um, I'm chairing the American Society for Engineering Education Pacific Southwest section this year, and uh, already, as I was talking with many of the faculty, we're going to be collaborating on proposals. So uh, back to the, the point about funding, you have to collaborate. Uh, again, it's not a one-person show. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, a couple of years ago, I was looking for 
someone to help me with culturally relevant pedagogy. We had used that particular approach at Cal State Long Beach through our Introduction to Engineering program for a number of years, but didn't really know what it was called. I was at a conference in Tennessee, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was the uh, STEM Think Tank conference, and I met Dr. Rose Pringle. Uh, she is from the University of Florida. She's a, become a good friend of mine now, but she's an extraordinary educator, and her expertise, her focus of her research is on culturally relevant pedagogy. She and I, a year later, collaborated on offering a webinar. And so, again, uh, don't wait for someone else to take action. Do not wait for a pot of money. Uh, you'll be waiting for a long time. If you have passion for something like this, meet people outside the institution. Uh, meet people within the institution. Um, right now, I see a lot of institutions who are uh, addressing the call to action to produce um, more qualified STEM professionals in the field. So you're not going to be alone. Uh, so I guess that's a bit of advice I can give to anyone who's interested. Um, and again, all these speakers you have on your telesummit, we're all sources of support. Yeah, that that is great advice. Um, I always find myself, you know, uh, doing the things that uh, I I want to get funded in the future. Somehow finding a way to do it, like this telesummit that was not really something that was specifically, you know, uh, you know, we had webinars and I made it into a, a telesummit um, because I thought it was so important. So I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you about, you know, finding ways to incorporate these things, uh, uh, you know, uh, right now, um, imperfect action. Okay, so let's go now to our questions. And I see that we have uh, several questions. The first is actually about funding. How do you fund the Engineering Scholars Day? Southern California Edison um, is one of our primary support. Um, they provided the college with a $100,000 endowment. Uh, so uh, I know that sounds easier than it's done, but uh, prior to that, uh, the college um, used their own funding to uh, 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 facilitate the Engineering Scholars Day. Uh, so Southern California Edison is a big supporter of our program. So the Engineering Scholars Day is paid uh, through other pots of money through our dean's office. So I have to really applaud our dean's office for setting aside that level of support. Um, the women's reception from the in, in the uh, Engineering Scholars Day, I wanted to clarify, is that which is funded by Southern California Edison. Um, for those who come from institutions where funding is limited, and that probably the majority of us, um, the advice is to start looking at all of the engineering industries. They want to have the best and brightest employees, and there are cyber grants that you can get online, and I, and I, and I do it all the time, plug in uh, a mini proposal. It's another you know, 10000 there, 45000 there. Uh, any little bit counts. Um, it may be that uh, you will fund one event through various uh, pots of money. Um, so uh, start looking uh, at industry uh, for support, and you'll find that they will be very supportive. Great advice. Our next question um, is, your university has 20% Asian population. How does this group contribute to your overall success? The Asian students do very well in terms of their four-year graduation rate. Uh, right now they're uh, about 50% graduating in the, in the sixth year. 
um, to a lesser extent, the Hispanics and African Americans. But again, um, there are students who don't do very, fairly well, uh, and there are support services within the college uh, for those students. So, um, for that very reason, MEP does not target um, Asian students, but we do target uh, Hawaiian students, um, uh, Pacific Islanders, whose graduation late rates are much lower uh, than um, our East. Asian students. Okay. And um, last question in the time that we have. Uh, uh, is it necessary to have a college-wide initiative to increase diversity in our STEM programs, or can my department do something on its own to increase diversity in our classes? Certainly, it's always better if you have the dean's office supporting, but I think that there's a great value to having the department's Support. In fact, one of the areas of great uh, interest is to make sure that diversity is inculcated, not at the college level, but also at the department level. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, this is not a one-person show, one-college show. Diversity is something we all have to do. And so um, I completely uh, support the idea of having a department-level diversity initiative. Okay, great. And um, actually, one more question, um, uh, and then we'll close. Uh, there are sometimes uh, misconceptions of STEM majors. How do you actively recruit students as well as give them a realistic expectation of the STEM programs? Beyond the K-12 through outreach we do, certainly there are students at the high school and even at the community college level that misperceive what engineering is. Uh, and again, um, that uh, goes back to the difference between outreach and recruitment. Outreach is really career exploration. So what is engineering all about? The recruitment piece uh, is woven to an admission element. Uh, and so uh, depending on the uh, focus of your institution's uh, recruiting admission goals, it might be uh, that uh, you provide career monographs uh, the Career Center, uh, there's often a Career Center at each university. They tend to work on the back end of placing students in industry. That's another source, campus source support for providing information to students who are ready to apply. Uh, again, it, it is at all levels. There's so little information out there uh, about what engineering is, but I think in the last 10 to 15 years, we've done a pretty good job and the momentum for really identifying and not identifying but uh, educating the general public on what engineering is has increased. Yes, I agree. And I hope that uh, our symposium, um, our telesummit, uh, has helped with that as well. And I have to say um, I so appreciated uh, all of the rich information that you provided us uh, in our hour together. Thank you so much for your participation in the STEM Success for Women Telesummit. Thank you very much, Donna. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.